I think like Heaven is a Half Pipe was a huge song, right? Like it, yeah. was a, it was a huge song everywhere. And obviously like the sales number for anything that was big back at that point was like diminished because yeah. nobody was fucking buying yeah. any music, right? Yeah. But like, I think the transition from that record to like uh, the next couple of records, like transitioned OPM from being like a radio band to like a touring band and a lifestyle band. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And you had Big B's handsome ass up there. Fuck it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Welcome to the MNO Show with Kevin Zinger of Regime, SRH, etc., etc., etc. I can't wait to get into the etcetras. The third one is the one. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I saw you on that one. Um, before we get there, though, let's let's go way back. Where did you grow up? I was born in Los Angeles. Um, but I, <clears throat> when I was younger, I had uh, I was fortunate enough where my parents had a place in San Clemente too. So I kind of split my time between LA and San Clemente. <clears throat> I moved out of my parents' house when I was like just turning 16. So I okay. was like a sophomore in high school and had my own apartment. And I lived there. I lived in LA in the winter time. Can you do that? Back then, my, maybe. My parents were cool with it, and my parents were just like. They signed the lease, or do you sign the lease? No, there was no lease. It was like a little shitty, like, studio thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, in the right, back right. of an apartment building. It was pretty unofficial. But when you're 16 years old, it was like a mansion. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Freedom. Um, but then I spent uh, all my summers in San Clemente. And when I was 17, I graduated from high school. I moved to Cabo San Lucas. And then from Cabo, I moved to Mission Beach in San Diego. How old were you when you were in Cabo? 17 to 18. That must have been an interesting experience at that age. It was... Uh, what were you doing there? Well, I was delusional and thought I was going to be a professional surfer. And I went <laughs> okay, down that there. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and I went down there to, quote unquote, train to surf. But I trained my liver at drinking a little bit more than probably surfing. I think a lot of people do that in Cabo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but I mean back then there was nothing in Cabo. It was literally like the bar called Giggling Marlin. We lived behind the bar, and mm. in a camper, and that's what we did. Oh no way! It was fun. No way. And then, uh, so after Cabo, you said you where'd you go? Uh, Mission Beach in San Diego. Okay. And so like all like I guess what you would call your formidable years were down there. Yeah, and that's where things start happening in music with you, right? Yeah, that's right. So like when I was. Because I, when I was a kid, I was sponsored from surfing, so I would go to all the trade shows, so I knew, like, you know, the surf world and the skate world, and then going to, like, shows and punk bands and all that kind of stuff. Right. And when I was uh, 18, um, 
I was living in Mission Beach. I knew a lot of people. My partner, who's still my partner in the clothing company, SRH at the time, was throwing a club. And uh, it was a 21 and up club. I wasn't even old enough to get into it. <clears throat> and he invited me to go to it. And uh, I went and there was like, maybe like 20, 30 people there. And uh, he snuck me in, not snuck me in, he knew the bouncers and was right. like, just let me in. And I hung out for a little bit and I was like, there's nobody here, I'm gonna split. A couple days later, I went over there and he said, uh, hey, do you wanna partner up with me on that club? And I was like, dude, I'm not even old enough to get in. <laughs> and he's like, don't worry about it, the owner will be cool with it, I got you. And so I was like, look, give me like three weeks and let's do this right, you know what I mean? And I got a couple bands from LA and um, put together like a proper flyer and put it out there. And that's kind of how I got into the music business. And we would take like surf films and put them with um, the bands that were in the surf films. And it was like a Tuesday night. And the first week we did it, it was like 500 people. The second week it was like 800 people. By the third week it was like lying around the block couldn't get in the place held like a thousand people and it was like, like what bands were you bringing in there pennywise sublime uh there was a band from up here called coup d'etat shrinky dinks which turned into sugar ray 311 incubus i mean the, what year was this this was like nine when we started was 91. that's crazy um and it that era <laughs> went from like 91 to like the early 2000s maybe 99 when I was like a club promoter wow I turned 21 and I threw my 21st birthday party and by then I you know I parlayed it and I was doing like uh probably like four or five nights a week and invited all the club owners to my 21st birthday party and you know they're like wait <laughs> but yeah that, that's how I got into the music business at first it was just like thank you doing clubs and you know Again, I, you know, I, I thought I was a good surfer and I was sponsored at the time. Right. But, uh, you know, I was making peanuts, right? And then all of a sudden, you're a club promoter, the girls, the fun, the, the money. It was like, yeah, fuck this surfing shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I think surfing has like, a, you know, the promotion of surfing and then like the sponsors and that type of stuff. You probably had a kind of a taste of how that stuff worked, right? Yeah. I mean, well, is that what you, yeah, where well, your that, brain was kind of yeah. in back then with the stuff that you were playing with? For me, it was like surf culture was like, at that time was like very like, well, it still is, it's like very corporate. So I always like identified more with like skate culture and mm -hmm. punk rock. Right. So I knew there were other surfers like me out there. And when we, when I like put these nights together, like all those bands that I mentioned from you know, Sublime to Pennywise, they were nothing back then. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'd heard about them and, you know, this was pre-internet, pre any of that stuff. So you just heard through the grapevine and scenes and you would get, you know, tapes or CDs or whatever, these bands. And so eventually, like, we built up through the SRH thing, like a name where people knew, like, it's gonna be like a certain kind of thing, a certain kind of vibe. And right. uh, so that's and where SRH yeah, Orig originally kind of SRH was like a little crew of guys from the beach. And so when I started doing clubs, I just tagged it SRH Presents. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. And then from, the, from doing all those clubs, um, eventually my clothing sponsor was Gotcha. I don't know if you remember that clothing company. But they clipped me and were like, you know, you're not 
doing what you're supposed to do as a surfer because I mean it's you go to a contest Saturday morning there's 80 guys in it you know what I mean I'm right. showing up late hungover <laughs> don't want to be there I just made like four grand the night before doing clubs right. I mean, you, you know I was a 19 20 year old kid like I was like so right. I, don't, I don't blame them for dropping me but I right. never even liked their clothes anyways they would send me boxes of clothes and I would take it back to the surf shop and go buy Dickies and go buy like the stuff that I like to buy so eventually along the way when after Gotcha like uh, basically dropped me I went to my partner and I was like look I want to start a clothing company because I figured like there were so many people that like we created like a little scene with like the music thing right I knew that you know like I said there was no internets but I just figured there were more people that wanted to dress like how we dress down there you know at least up the coast and probably up the coast on the east coast too right so I just wanted to give it a go and start a clothing company and I mean I didn't know anything about clothing like but I knew what I liked and I just tried right. to make that kind of stuff I mean when we first started it was like hats and t-shirts and then when we tried to do like cut and sew like literally the first time we went to go like make like real stuff I like cut out this paint like this uh, pattern for a flannel shirt and it was uh, and then we were gonna make shorts and I took it to this Korean lady I drove up to LA and I bought like these big like bundles of denim and big bundles of flannel and I brought it to this Korean lady and was like okay make flannel shirts and denim shorts well she mixed it up <laughs> and she ended up making denim shirts and flannel shorts. So when you put on the, you put on the shirt, it was oh, like no. cardboard. And then you put on the shorts and you went like that and it just ripped from end to end. So, so in that case, it wasn't a happy mistake. No, no. I, 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 I took some lumps in the early days of it for sure. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of how that whole part of it started. Inter interesting. Interesting. And so what you're... So you stayed in San Diego. You ended up coming back up to L.A., obviously, right? Yeah, so al along the journey, um, you know, the clothing company started to do pretty good. The club and concert promotion stuff started to do pretty good. A band from San Diego called Sprung Monkey, and at the time, they were, like, the biggest thing in San Diego. This mm -hmm. was, like, pre-Blink-182, pre-Unwritten Law, like, those those guys were around, but they were like the Groms, you know what I mean? Um, but Sprung Monkey was a big deal back then um, down there, and they were like, hey, do you want to manage me? And I was like, I don't know anything about management. And they're like, you didn't know anything about the other stuff, and that worked. And I was like, yeah, fuck, I'll give it a go. Right. And so... You're looking for something to do. You're, I'm I just, just joking. <laughs> yeah. I just thought, I have ADD, so I just turned it into like, right. businesses. Um, so I started managing them, and... Uh, it started to work, you know, and then from there, um, I just started managing other bands, Cottonmouth Kings, and that was like around 97, I think, or something like that, and, uh, you know, when I first started managing them, it was like, it was more of like a Sex Pistols kind of thing, like, we weren't taking it that serious, you know what I mean, it was almost like, I don't want to say a joke, because it wasn't a joke, but we were like, you know, fuck the industry, we're just gonna do this ourselves. And even before that, because of all the bands like, um, that we were booking at the shows and I would do these little compilations, 
Interscope Records, I knew the guy who was running Interscope Records' brother. And so his brother told the guy about me and he started calling me like, hey, will you come up to LA and come to Interscope Records? And like my point of reference with record labels was like SST and, you know, punk labels and then like, you know, Def Jam and like hip hop label. I didn't even know what Interscope was, you know what I mean? And the guy's like, yeah, come on up to LA. And I was like, no, I'm good, thanks. I don't want to drive up there. You know what I mean? They're like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, like, but I had no point of reference. I just didn't know how big of a company they were and didn't care really at the time. But, uh, you know, they persisted, they persisted. So I created a relationship with them and I ended up doing like a compilation that had like, you know, Pennywise and Offspring and a bunch of bands and we put it out. And uh, through that whole journey was the same time that um, the Cottonmouth Kings came in my life. And so the guy that was running Interscope at that time was just like knocking him out of the block. Like he was just, you know, no doubt, Nine Inch Nails, Maryland, like signing everything and going huge. So mm. he wanted to sign the band, and because he wanted to sign the band, every other label in LA wanted to sign him. You know what I mean? Right. And they hadn't even heard the music. It was almost like a joke to us. Like they'd never heard one fucking anything. They hadn't right. heard the music, and they're giving us these crazy offers. And, you know, we were like young punker kids who were just like kind of like making a joke of the whole thing you know what i mean and it was like let's see how far we can drive this up you know what i mean like and uh i I remember one time i was i was in the backyard of my uh parents house and i get this phone call and the guy goes hey it's rick rubin and i'm like and i I knew who rick rubin was because fucking slayer you know beastie boys public i mean the guy did amazing shit and I thought it was my buddy Mac from San Diego because he sounds like him. Screwing and again. I'm yeah, and I'm like, yeah, fuck off, Mac. What's up? How you doing? He's like, pause, like, hey, this is Rick Rubin. And I'm like, yeah, Mac, and I'm fucking Daffy Duck or whatever the fuck I said. And he's like, no, this is Rick Rubin. I'm like, holy shit, this is Rick Rubin. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, and then from so that, what was Rick Rubin calling about to sign the band? Okay, yeah, he wanted to sign it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was nuts. The, like, it was like the biggest deal of that year for like a new signing, and nobody heard the music. That's how funny the music business is. Like, right. literally, people were like million dollar deals without even hearing fucking one lick of music. Yeah, yeah it's funny. This is like well before our paths crossed, and um, I was I was in Hollywood at that time. Like, I, don't remember, I think I was probably an island, and uh, and I remember when like the buzz started bubbling and I went and saw their show they uh, they played the Dragonfly and it was like everyone was talking about it, it was I, don't, I think like the buzz on it wasn't that like they were going to get signed or anything it was just you know you got to see the show mm-hmm. and it was uh, at the end of the set they did uh, a cover of American Girl mm. Is that right? yeah. yeah 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 and then uh and then because, you know, like Zinger was a promoter and Brad was also a promoter, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you didn't real I didn't realize I was just standing in the crowd watching the show and I was like, oh, this is fucking dope. Like they're like white boys just doing their thing, B-boys, you know, stuff. And um, and then all of a sudden they did that song and 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 then they invited girls up to come sing on the stage. And then all of a sudden, like just went, like half the crowd went up onto the stage and you're just sitting there looking at like every it was like 
all of the hottest chicks in, yeah. in, in LA <laughs> are all on the stage and you're like wait what wait what the fuck what is happening and there was like and they were all just bouncing around with like you know bikinis and like, it was like what is happening right now like it was oh, wow. it was a spectacle because like, we stacked the deck because yeah. both Brad and I were club promoters so we had access to all these people yeah. but nobody knew that and so we would put the band in front of like you know a packed crowd of like beautiful girls and fucking yeah. all the like coolest people or whatever you want to call it right right and, fucking, right, right and the band like we just told them like go out there and go fucking nuts you know yeah. what I mean and and it just went nuts and yeah. it seems like the right formula <laughs> it was a great formula because then after they all came off the stage and then the band comes out and they're all hanging like wow we're like we're now in the coolest party in LA right now <laughs> yeah. right because like all the girls are here right now like yeah it was it was pretty awesome yeah and it I, definitely like the buzz on that was just, it was like bubbling and it was like oh yeah these guys are getting signed like and then it was like after I was like man I don't even like I don't even know if I was like paying attention to any of their music or anything. <laughs> yeah. I was like but those that dudes was, are dope that was the funniest part yeah. is like the, it was like almost like secondary was yeah, the music exactly, it was yeah. like we just created this whole weird no, scene it was here. like a spectacle and it was before like like there was no not that many points of reference for like white boys doing hip hop right? right it was like you know House of Pain fucking definitely awesome yeah. fucking killer group Beastie Boys, but then it was like, you know, you yeah. had uh, fucking Vanilla Ice and da da da. This was like yeah. pre Eminem, pre anything, and it was like, mm -hmm. you know, I came from the punk background, right? So like, even like the punk scene, like when I started doing that band, like everybody in the punk scene was like, "The fuck are you doing, singer? You know what I mean? Like, why are you doing this?" And I was like, "We're just having fun and making it more punk than punk is," because at that right. point, punk started to get a little bit boring for me because that's when pop punk started to yeah, come it was out like, you yeah, know when yeah. hair metal happened it, yeah exactly yeah. It's like, oh this is over <laughs> <laughs> so for us it was like let's just make this punk rock you know what i mean i can remember one time they uh they did like a showcase and they told us it was at the viper room and they told us do not invite any of your friends we just want to watch the band play we're like yeah sure no problem right and we <laughs> fucking called all these like strippers all our friends and just made a full mockery of it fucking saint jumps off the the stage and lands on the table where the president of the label is sitting knocks drinks all over the guy <laughs> literally like just drenches him the guy gets up and walks out the door and i'm like well i guess we're not getting signed to that label <laughs> an hour and a half later the guy's calling me like offering us crazy money to like sign it i was like okay so the more of a mockery we make out of this, yeah. the more they want to give us money. So Showbiz. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when did you guys connect then? So it must have been getting close to the point. Well, I knew about OPM before before we met, you know okay. what I mean? Because there wasn't like, like there was like sublime and like, you know, now there's this whole massive scene with hundreds and hundreds of those bands, right? Right. But like back then it was like there was only a handful of them you know i knew slightly stupid because they were from my local neighborhood and yep. i owned a surf shop back then and they hung out there but who are the others at that time it really wasn't that many yeah it was, it was like OPM, sublime was like yeah. you know like so there was the ska movement basically That's the right. american ska movement right. right and and like sublime was able to break into that because they had date rape which was a huge hit, but only here. Like, we like, at, you know, we yeah, lived here. You thought it was, and, yeah. K Rock, and but it wasn't the rest of the world, yeah, right? That's right. And then, um, and then they did the Sublime record, and then Bradley passed, and then that record, you know, went like international, basically or whatever. 
but so like to me as a fan of music and them being like my idols basically they were they did the same progression that like bob marley did they were ska band and then they evolved into kind of like a more of a reggae thing mm. but obviously at the core they were like punk rock which is like you know saying like i grew up the same same background as, as zinger in a lot of ways where like you know with every the core of everything was was punk rock hip-hop and skateboarding and surfing and it was it was lifestyle mm. thing and all this stuff they were talking about like it ultimately will probably get there but like it evolved into a lifestyle movement in a sense, right? Like where it was, it was more about, like you said, it was more, even with us, it was more about the lifestyle. Uh, it was a lot more about the skateboarding thing than it was about the music, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was like, you know, the same with the Kings as us and, and a lot of other ones. Like we got, we got signed cause we were like, I can say it now. I wouldn't say it then, but like we were cool kids, but we weren't like musicians. You know what I mean? Like we got a record deal as like being cool, but not, you know, I, I, I have <laughs> never been and never will be known as like a great musician, right? But I've had a, had a, a, a great music career. You made some great songs. Yeah, but um, but yeah, but just being creative and being a fan of music and all that kind of stuff was was kind of what happened. But anyways, to me, like when when that happened with Sublime, I was like, oh, that's gonna be the future of music, you know? And so that was where I was, you know, I was kind of I think maybe a little bit ahead of it, right? Because it it's happened. You know, recently, hey chef, call in the chef. Call in the chef. The chef. Chef just dropped off some uh, fish tacos and uh, two all-day breakfast sandwiches, which is a new special. Looks delicious. What do you got, chef? Porchetta organic eggs. Where are the eggs from? The eggs. Where are we getting the eggs from right now? Uh, Chino Valley. Chino Valley. Chino Valley. Local. Local eggs. Arugula, kale. Shaved fennel. What's the aioli? Morita. Morita? Chili morita. I'm butchering that. And smoky chili. Nice. Fish tacos. Those are cod. What's the batter? Ale. Is it rice batter? Yeah, rice batter with ale. So it's gluten-free. It is gluten-free. Nice. Chef hooks it up. That's right. <laughs> it looks a little better than the uh, Jack in the Box all day breakfast <laughs> yeah. sandwich that I'm used to. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Thank you, Chef. Thank you. Thanks, Carrie. Yeah. To touch on what you were talking about, though, I think the difference was, was like back then, like, like now, today's music is like so singles driven and it's like one song, right? Right. So like back then, like, you know, the word lifestyle is so fucking cheesy now, but, like, back then it wasn't, right? And, like, bands were, like, creating lifestyles and, like, it was full records. So that's why people were interested in bands like Sublime. or You know what I mean? Yeah. It was, like, they were buying into this whole thing because yeah. the people that became fans bought into the whole thing. Where today it's just, like, a si- singles-driven market, right? Like, one song and you hear it and then you don't hear about the people mm. anymore as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. I definitely want to dig into that. Dig. 
Let's dig into the one. food first. Let's I want to dig into that, that, that topic, though, because I definitely have some interest in, like, <laughs> the singles versus the... But let's, let's, let's eat first. I mean, this thing looks delicious. Yeah. I mean, with Sublime, like, literally, I used to do Sublime every Thursday night for free dollar drafts. <laughs> and, like, like, the punker guy, like, all my punk friends would be like, what are these guys? Like, they can't figure out if they're reggae or punk rock and fucking da-da. What is this? Like, they'd get all, like, almost angry, you know what I mean? Because they were, like, trying to be, like, punk rock purists. And I'd be like, no, that's the point, you dipshit. They're, like, doing something new, you know what I mean? And, like, and through Sublime, like, you know, obviously we all knew about, like, the... Uh, the Steel Pulses, the Bob Marleys, and da da da. But that Sublime helped expand a lot of people's mind into like what reggae was. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, like I remember we we did that show one time uh, with the Cottonmouth Kings. And I remember for a, for a minute you had um, um, X Clan. X Clan. Yeah, uh, dude. X Clan was one of my favorite I mean, hip hop groups, and yeah. I was like, it was such a fucking honor for me to. Yeah. That but was we, what we that, played. I played a show with those guys. Yeah, yeah. I was like, holy, like, I, it was crazy. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm putting out an X Clan yeah, record for yeah. you. You're like, I'm playing. I'm a playing show a show with X Clan. Like, yeah, yeah. And like, it was the biggest honor ever. And yeah. that was what opened my eyes to realize, like, holy shit, like, yeah. this truly is a young man's game because yeah. I put my heart and soul into it, put my money where my mouth was, really tried to fucking make that record happen. And it was a great record. Yeah. Brother Jay is still one of the best lyricists yeah. out there. Fucking couldn't give it away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Broke my heart. Mm. Almost broke my bank. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I got but to, it's just the truth. I got to know? go in there and track vocals with him and stuff during that time. I was yeah. I was engineering for you a bunch then. And like and and I've worked with a lot of uh, people in the studio and one thing that was super unique about him was that like uh, just basically when you're laying uh, maybe, maybe a lot of people don't understand whatever but like uh, like doubling on on your vocals and whatnot like so like in hip-hop it's like a it's a common thing like you you would say like the line and then at the end you kind of double just the end mm. to give it like a little bit of punch right and um, which is super common um, but what he would do is he would go through, he'd write it out, and then he would have, you know, like a lot of times, like, people, like, highlight or whatever, the end, whatever, where they, which, which words they want to be on the double. He would go through his first take, and he would lay the double. So it would be, like, no line, no line, and then the end line. Yeah, yeah. And then just as music. And then this line rhymes with that line. Why would, you, why would he do and then like that? Because he would get so deep in the pocket. Yeah. Wow. And then he would go back and lay the lead track on top. And, like... No, I've never known anyone else to be able to do that. And then <laughs> I've crazy. obviously tried it, and it's near impossible. You know, like I, there's no way I could ever do that. But yeah, that was pretty. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was he's he's a legend. You yeah. know, I mean, I don't regret any of it, even though it, it didn't work out financially. It was fucking just an honor. I mean, and we were the we got KRS One and Brother Jay to do their first track together. And so like I'm in the studio with KRS One and Brother Jay, and I'm like. Yeah. Some surfer dude from, you know what I yeah. mean? I'm like, this is fucking badass. Yeah. You know what I mean? But. So when you guys got connected, what time was that? So you yeah, guys so started working your, together. I take a lot of punches to the head, so I'm not good with time. <laughs> um, it would have been uh, 
2000, maybe 2001. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah, probably maybe 2002. Somewhere right there. Early All 2000. Right. Yeah. 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 Because they're so. Johnny mentioned the Napster thing earlier, right? Right. Like, the major labels, like, they wanted to fight Napster. They wanted to, like, you know, it's never going to work, right? Like, mm -hmm. they wanted to tell kids, like, don't download this music. You're stealing. And, like, if you're a kid, you get 20 bucks a week, right? And you're yeah. like, wait a second. Like, I can get the music for free now, and I can yeah. spend the 20 bucks on a sack of weed or some beer or buy my little girlfriend lunch or whatever it is. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to download yeah. the music for free. There was no fighting that, right? right? So, like, all the major labels, like, they had their own formula to what success was, right? So, like, even though OPM had a massive amount of success, right? Like, these major labels, like, they invest hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars into bands, but it doesn't sell a million records, and they're just, like, walk away from it, right? And, like, I saw all that going down and was like, you know, I don't want to pretend like I was like some business genius dude, but I was like, wait a second. Like if we own this restaurant together and it doesn't work out, we don't just drop the keys on the floor and walk out the door and go later, right? right. We sell the fucking refrigerator. We sell the fucking TV sets. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. like, I'm like, there's all these great bands that these major labels, you know. Are just dismissing because of their business of. plan. Yeah. And like they're great bands that have already been propped up you know mm -hmm. what i mean and at the time like you know i we were all just figuring out the music business but like i was always a very hard worker you know what i mean and always just like dug in so like right. there were a lot of bands like um opm that like and head pe that came from that major label world that i was fans of musically and came to suburban noise and like it was a huge risk for them, right? Because it was like, you know, they were going from like these big ivory tower companies to like at the time, I think we were on like Hollywood and Vine and it was like, yeah, you're on there was like three or four of us in yeah. like some little shitty office with like prostitutes walking around downstairs yeah. <laughs> out in front of the place and panhandlers. <laughs> it was still when Hollywood and Vine was gritty, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was when I had my studio right around the corner. Oh yeah, well yeah. You took gritty <laughs> to the next level. <laughs> so what was that first meeting like? for you guys when you guys I don't even remember how we well did so meet. originally it was like uh, so like like you exactly how you said like so it was you know the era of that you know that era for you as a as a record label owner and a manager and all that stuff it was uh, it was kind of the wild west so it was not only were you trying to figure it out whatever but they were also trying to figure it out because they were getting destroyed yeah by by the what they were you know at the time it was still called pirating like people napster and limewire was considered pirating all those people that had multi-million dollar jobs that didn't do shit all of a sudden were yeah. like oh shit i'm gonna lose my yeah, job they now were, they're all real estate agents in the valley yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they literally were all, they were all in a panic but like you you were obviously you know a smaller outfit so you were able to be versatile and you know you could be agile and 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 you know do all that stuff whatever so but I, I think like we, when we, when we were, we kind of knew we were going to get dropped, right? And then, uh, but I think we're still with Atlantic and we kind of, I remember I had a lawyer. I don't remember which lawyer it was. Wasn't it Shaw? It was Shaw, yeah. 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 Brian Shaw. The 
Brian right? Shaw. Yeah, Brian Shaw. Yeah, Brian the Shaw. The Kung Fu lawyer. Yeah. He does Krav Maga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Shaw was, uh, I don't even know how I ended up with him because we were with Jeffrey Taylor Light prior to that, who was awesome, an awesome lawyer. But he obviously, you know, they all, everyone started bailing on us and dropping us. Um, and then I was still in that, like, you know, I, 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 like, you know, I started working at Island and then I was like, oh my God, I want to be on a major label. Like, that was my, my dream, you know? And then I got on a major label and then it was like, I didn't want to give up on that, you know? So initially, uh, you know, Shaw was like, yeah, you just, you need someone to shop you, you know? And then, um, yeah, that's right. We weren't working yeah. together on the label side at first. It was more yeah, in the, the management. beginning. You, yeah, were, yeah, yeah, you yeah. started shopping. Yeah, us. yeah, that's right. And it was like you and Shaw were shopping us to every other label, and like every other, and then it was like, you know, but like in retrospect, like they all, you know, obviously they all knew all the Atlantic people. And they're like, no, those guys are fucking, you know, this is, you know, if they would have called and said, what happened with those guys? Oh, well, we spent, you know, you know, two million dollars on getting this thing going or whatever and they sold 70,000 records in the states and you know a couple hundred thousand in in europe or whatever so that's like we were in the red right you know like there was debt like they were you know we failed you know had had napster not happened they wouldn't or if they would have you know if it had been a year after that and they knew what napster was doing they wouldn't have spent the two million dollars yeah. they would have kept it more <laughs> realistic right. and we if we would have sold the same amount it would have been a success right but we just got caught right in that window where it was like they were like we were on the a team they were they were giving us the you know the best producers the best video directors the best everything we want they spent they they fucking dumped tons of money on the radio you you gotta you don't just get on k-rock for free at that time like it cost tons of money black swan yeah that's what they call black swan right yeah comes swoops in (laughs) yeah so all that was happening and so they were like yeah you know and then obviously like you know there's a lineup change all that shit so zinger kind of went for a little bit and then we're like we're still on Atlantic so we had to get dropped so that's when we like brought in Big B mm. like that'll get us dropped for sure <laughs> <laughs> so we brought in Big B we're like this is the new lineup and they're like you're done <laughs> and then uh, we like sent them pictures and stuff and they're like this is the new guy like because they were literally like no were, shirt on yeah. just like a tattoo just, big fat just, dude <laughs> big, yes, they, exactly. wanted, they wanted a, a pretty they boy. were sending they us guys yeah. Boy, yeah they literally Ashley Simpson's uh, dad who was her manager like came in with her boyfriend who he was managing like brought this dude in he was like a fucking model he was like you know whatever like you they know. wanted a backstreet boy yeah, guys yeah. exactly and we're like you guys are teach him how to rap yeah exactly <laughs> figure it teach him this lifestyle yeah just know? do just teach him what you do you know yeah, yeah. doesn't work that way no. and they, they sent in a like guy and we're like oh my god they're, they're so cra- they're delusional it's you should have just beat his ass and been like well yeah. that's the first step to the lifestyle yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you need about a hundred more of these before you understand where we're coming from um, yeah so then we uh, so then you shopped us for a bit it was yeah. obviously and then it was like we started talking about very early like, and you were like dude like even if that doesn't work out I'll put you out on my I'll put you on some noise. it's good like let's just give it a shot you know we gave Safety it a shot. Net. Yeah. And it was like, it made a lot of sense. And he's like, yeah, we'll p- I'll put you out with the Kings. You guys tour with the Kings. Made a lot of sense. It was, you know, the lifestyles were, were similar. Obviously, like we were, we, you know, we were, the, we were definitely a black sheep in the genre at that time because at that time it was Corn and Limp Bizkit and. Yeah, it was like the rap And rock. Papa Roach, yeah. you know what I mean? So we were the black sheep there. 
and then we went you know into the independent route there and we were still the black sheep because and it was like it was at that time too like cottonmouth kings already had a major label and then now they were on their own they kind of did the same path right like they were capital and then now just suburban noise doing their own thing and it was like they had been out already for a couple years preaching you know like fuck the majors you know this is what where it's at whatever and their their fan base fucking just dove into that head first and then and then also oh now another you know this band is like a major label band so they're kind of like yeah fuck these guys you know and we were definitely uh you know probably like a bit more polished than like the kings you know like uh you know like not as gritty as those guys on on the surface i think but um yeah, I don't know. So it was always yeah, like a... I think, like, Heaven is a Half-Pipe was a huge song, right? Like, it, yeah. was a, it was a huge song everywhere. And obviously, like, the sales number for anything that was big back at that point was, like, diminished because yeah. nobody was fucking buying yeah. any music, right? Yeah. But, like, I think the transition from that record to, like, uh, the next couple of records, like, transitioned OPM from being, like... A radio band to like a touring band and a lifestyle band yeah. you know what i mean like, yeah for sure yeah and you had big b's handsome ass up there fuck <laughs> <Yeah>. it <laughs> <laughs> can't go wrong with that yeah you talk about uh the new punk rock like making something else the new punk rock right like what's that today for you for me it's like are you still doing that making the new thing punk rock i'm always in my my biggest um uh, like I don't really have any like super gifts in life but I'm good at seeing what's about to come mm-hmm. my worst uh, flaw is not hanging in there long enough right so right. like like big in the punk scene big in the punk scene tons of credibility da 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 and then I go ah fuck the punk scene you know what I mean like <laughs> right. bored with it right and then right. it just goes As it, boom it, and yep. blows the fuck up and then you know Cottonmouth was just interesting to me because it was something new and different right and right. so then so i just kept I've historically like uh if i would have kept signing like the next white rapper the next white rapper the next white rapper but i you know and we signed plenty of those but we that wasn't our main focus if that makes any sense you know what i mean yeah. but like i've always sort of like walked away from things right as they become like mainstream and huge but like the thing that it's, I, like i have to be excited to like because i work my ass off so it's like when you're putting in 12, 14 hour days, like, I hope you're excited about what you're working on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because if not, it's fucking tough. But like uh, this new label that we started called Liars Club with like, it's like dark folk music, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, to me, like that is sort of like the new punk rock, right? It's like, it's like Americana with like super like dark lyrics and like, it's just badass to me. You know what I mean? There's this whole burgeoning scene that's coming out. Yeah. And then with, like, making scenes today, is it, it's harder with digital, right? Like, it, I mean, people aren't buying the full albums, right? So people how do you, still don't buy full albums. So how do you do that you now? You know, there, there's certain, like, like, um, like in the scene that I was just talking about, like, those people buy vinyl, right? Okay. And that, so they, they want to hear the whole record. So, like, you know, in today's world, it's all about, well, how many Spotify listeners do you have, right? right. But, like, if you look at some bands that, like, we work with, like, Amigo the Devil, right? Like his Spotify listeners aren't even, um, it's not even like a, a, a point of how big he is as an artist, right? Mm-hmm. Because 
his fans listen to vinyl. They listen to the full record. You know what I mean? Like, they don't listen to Spotify. You know what I mean? So, um, as someone that grew up listening to albums, now I'm tempted to ruin the album every time someone's coming out with an album because they'll release a song. And I'm like, man, I really want to listen to that song. I don't want to wait for that album to come out. I'll listen to that song. Then, what, a month later, they'll, they'll release another song, another song. By the time the album comes out, they've already released like three or four of the songs. Yeah. And then I'm listening to the album. And what do I do when that song comes up? Well, I've already listened to that thing like 15 times. So I skip, skip right that song. It. And I never, yeah. I don't get the satisfaction of an album to sink into now because I already heard a little bit of it. Now I'm listening to kind of the rest of it. And then, I don't know. Yeah. It's the new it's world. Different. It's no, different. It's it different. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I consume music differently, and I'm an album guy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. my friend was, we were listening to Wu Tang driving along and get two songs into it, and he put something else on him. Like, why would you do that? You know what right. I mean? Like, Wu Tang's on. Like, let's listen to the whole fucking thing, right? But, like, even I, like, you know, create my own playlists, and, like, we all adapt to what the new world is, right? But there's still something that I think like there is gonna like with there's ebbs and flows and everything right we're like coming out of like the um, the version of like the cheesy 80s fucking pop mumble rap fucking like it's like it like that era of today was it's just starting to end right and it's yeah, like the death you. of that and like yeah. <laughs> Don't don't thank me. I didn't get to kill it. I wanted to, but, <laughs> but now I think you're like, you know, there's all these like kids. Like I'm friends with Rob from Metallica. His kids band Auto is fucking badass. Those kids have the vibe. Like they're like a hardcore like thrash band. Like DRI meets suicidal, but they can actually like they write real songs and they're like they they dress like how I dressed when I was their age. You know what I mean? To right. Me, took me 25 years later but I'm cool again <laughs> but like you know what I mean like it's badass to watch it and they don't they don't want to hear anything electronic like they're playing guitars they're playing it so whenever there's you know the mumble rap techno EDM takeover nothing against all that stuff it's just not my vibe right mm -hmm. but there's always going to be a backlash to it right and that's my version of what great art is so like I'm seeing that like there's all these like there's like a new punk scene of like these like um like almost like thrash punk band kids that like they'll do shows they pull up in like a u-haul and fucking throw it out on the internet and fucking 500 kids show up under a bridge and they got a pa in a u-haul and they fucking play until the cops show up and that's punk rock to me you know what right. i mean some 41's new single isn't you know what i mean so right so there is going to be ebbs and flows and yeah but well, one thing we talk a lot about on the show, and it's kind of interesting to talk about that band. Um, Some 41, do we have to? No, not that band. <laughs> uh, Metallica. Which, yeah. Which, which member was it? You said Rob. real fast. Rob. Yeah. Passing down to generations. Yeah. And teaching generations that next level. One of the things I, I notice very clearly is because of technology and facets of our life, you can do a lot of things on your own now. And so there's a lot of kids in their bedroom. I used to be in my bedroom playing guitar to, to be in that band. But now kids are in their bedroom just recording freaking songs and putting them on Spotify. Right? And yeah. so there, there are no bands is what it feels like. There's a lack of, like, collaboration, and that's the coolest stuff ever. Metallica, Rob by himself, wouldn't have been nothing. 
right? Mm -hmm. But you put all those guys together and you create something greater than you ever could have had before. He's passing that down. His kid now has a band. But I don't see new bands coming out. You know what I mean? I just see artists that are collaborating with someone else and then they'll collaborate with someone else just to get popularity. Yeah. And it'd be really cool to see more people passing that down, our generation passing that down to like create a band. I think you're going to see it. I think like guitar, you know, they say guitar rock or whatever, but I think it's gone away for the last 10 years, right? Yeah. I think it's going to come back big and you're going to see like bands and fucking like, I think it's going to bubble under with this next generation. Because like, I hope so. (laughs) Like technology is great, right? Right. But like, you can also get sucked into it and it can be evil as well, right? Right. Or, or, uh, you know, squash the artistic process or whatever it is, right? But like, these kids that I see, the new ones coming up, they know how to use it for what that's worth, but they also want to tap into what's sort of like real and natural. Like, like the 90s are like the thing again for kids that are like 16 and 17 years yeah. old. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're looking at bands like, I mean, it was just like when uh, Nirvana came out and crushed hair metal, thank God. You know what yeah. I mean? And I wasn't even like a huge Nirvana fan. I was a punker and a hip hop kid, but I've certainly like Nirvana more than I liked Rat, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. or Poison or whatever yeah, it right. was, you know what I mean, so um, I think I think we're getting there, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, and it's definitely, like, it really is always going to boil down to, like, this art is about songwriting, you know, it's like, it's like you can, you know, like, the, the lack of songwriting, you know, is like, there's so much stuff out there right now that just there's no you know there's just nothing there there's no you know like um, how many times can you talk about a chain and a fucking car yeah right it's just it's gotten to levels of so it's like i said before like like, you just loaded to like the hair you know when when you know heavy metal like when when we you know in the day we had metallica and slayer and then all of a sudden like said went hair you know like it just kind of went downhill and the same with like punk rock when it just got so like offsprings came out it was just pop and it was right it was silly and whatever even the um, reggae like how many times can we talk about smoking up great i like the music yeah. we don't i mean like yeah, well, even the reggae rock scene of like what sublime and the, all those guys created you know i've been around it forever you know what i mean and there's a lot of great bands but like there's so many bands like that now that like yeah. i i can't even wrap my head around 30% of them. I think the I mean? freshest it's thing like I've seen lately is Polyphia. You seen Polyphia? No lyrics. The craziest guitar stuff I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Uh, they did a song with Steve Vai recently. Um, those guys are on a whole new level. It's the first thing I've really seen like, hey, this is a band and they're doing something totally unique and different. That's us But Let's So one of the out. things that we do on every single one of these shows, episodes, is uh, we talk about lessons learned uh, you look back on your life you know what would you tell would you tell Zinger when he's 18 things that you learn now or and everybody that we talk to is takes a we talk about this it takes kind of a path a different path than someone most people take right mm. so you're definitely have taken that path you're like serial entrepreneur you start a billion things you have vision what would you tell your 18 year old self that you've learned now that you're 25 <laughs> I mean, there's no shortages of mistakes that I've made and, you know, that causes like whatever you want to call it, pain or regret or whatever. But if you don't go through those things, you don't know what the good stuff is either. Right. If there's Mm -hmm. no if there's no uh, 
if somebody lives a life of having no pain, no uh, struggle, no anything, right? That they're never really gonna uh, understand true happiness and enjoyment either, right? So mm. I, I don't. I'd probably tell my young self to shut up a little bit, but <laughs> I can still tell my old self to shut up a little bit. But, you know, like I, I've made mistakes just like everybody has, but I don't regret right. any of them. Uh, I would regret it if I didn't learn from them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, you know, I'm a 50 year old dude, but like I still like my thing is always trying to challenge myself. You know what I mean? Like just keep trying to like do new things, whatever that is. Right. Keep like, it punk rock. Yeah, not even punk rock, but like, you know, like we were talking about technology, like I taught myself a lot of random shit from just looking up YouTube, you know what I mean? Right. Like because I do so much crazy stuff from, you know, surfing to fighting to whatever, you get injured a lot, right? And so an old timer told me a long time ago, he goes, you know, there's all these things that you want to do, whatever it is, read a book, learn a language, whatever it is, um, when you get hurt, have that list of things so instead of sitting around the couch watching tv all day feeling sorry for yourself start checking those things off you know right, what i mean yeah. and because i have literally smashed probably everything on me right i've i've that list turned into a good thing so now i don't look at those injuries and go like oh shit i sat around fucking drinking beer on my couch all day watching shitty movies i go oh i learned the rubik's cube and now I can kind of speak Spanish and you know what I mean? So like, it's yeah, and that's like an attribute to obviously your, you know, a huge part of your success is, is your work ethic, you know, stay grinding. You just stay grinding no matter what, like you, you put in more hours than the normal person. And then, uh, but also, you know, going back to earlier kind of things like, you know, you're, uh, I think kind of the way to like, where you're unique from a lot of entrepreneurs is like where you know you're a tastemaker like you that 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 thing in you that is unique that you know this is that's not something you can teach somebody but it's to be able to recognize um you know what's what's dope you know like right. what's what's the cool thing um and and often like ahead of the curve you know yeah. like that's been um and so and like you know and pretty much all the stories that you told is always kind of like you were ahead of the curve and then nobody paid attention to you until all of a sudden there it is. And like, Oh shit, Zinger's been doing that for <laughs> like a couple of years already. And then you got that, you know, from back when you were a kid, like, you know, they're like, Oh, okay. That dude's onto something. Right. And then, and then you kept, you know, like it wasn't just a, a fluke for you. It was, you know, you've been doing that nonstop yeah. for decades. Right. Tastemaker. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's because we're in the culture too. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Like the the people. Yeah, aware you, though. You, you can't <laughs> fake, you can't fake that shit. That's yeah, the yeah, thing. Like, yeah. like you can't I, send Ashley Simpson's boyfriend. Like, it's not. <laughs> you can't fake the funk. No. You know? Yeah. No, for sure. It's like eventually you'll get tested on on if yeah. you're real or not. You know? But did another taking it to another level? Like, uh, that's that's w what Jeff was just saying. Where, but also like even more specifically like so so the the concept of kind of what he was alluding to is this thing called tool which is like basically the theory of overall logic is the what that is but whatever so like specifically like um the what i got out of what your answer was to jeff's question was stay grinding right but then um which is like you know that work ethic probably you know was instilled obviously like you know your parents like grinded that into your dad is also like a you know a grinder workaholic 
uh, but like specifically like a tool that you use like every day you know what I mean like something that's like some in your toolbox inside your head like how are you like you know so so you you see it before other people see it but then how do you how are you able to you know manifest or like how are you able to like materialize these things into something that's tangible like for someone someone on the outside who's just like i i don't fucking understand zinger yeah you know i guess to use your i understand the question a little bit better now if i went back to my younger self um i would say don't confuse motion and progress right because they're very different things right and as a young man like it was you could just work 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 but if there's if there's nothing there or you're just kind of chasing your tail you're just working you know right. what i mean and yeah. like there were you know countless hours days years wasted on motion without progress so mm-hmm. i would probably tell my younger self that and then yeah. also like you know like as every young man like goes through like a well hopefully but everybody tries to find like their um like their moral compass in life mm-hmm. right like i i you know, like when I was a younger, like in my twenties and stuff, like we all did stupid shit when we were younger, right? But I wish that I had figured out what I figured out when I, like when I was about 30, 31 or something like that. Like, you know, Mission Beach today is a lot different than it was uh, back then. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the Venice Beach of uh, of LA back in the day. It was, it was fucking pretty grimy and pretty place right so there was a lot of shit going on and you know I started looking around at like you know friends dying people going to jail you know but I was always the guy that would go to work you know what I mean when everybody else fucking went to the bar and went to go party all day long I was like I'll meet you there later but right. the next eight hours I'm going to work you know what I mean um, but at some point in life you gotta go like what the fuck am I really doing? You know what I mean? And I wish I did that a little bit younger. You know what I mean? Because um, there was probably some wasted years there. But, you know, at least I got there. Like, when I was, like, 31, I can remember it was just, like, you know, tons of the people that I uh, were close to me going to jail, die, whatever, you know, really bad things were happening to them. And I was like... I got to take a step back, you know what I mean? And I never did anything illegal, never dealt, none of that kind of shit. But it was like, still like, guilty by association a little bit and didn't, yeah, and I just, so I, you know, I started reading all these like, you know, you try to read the Bible, you look into the Bhagavad Gita, you look into the Quran, you start reading all that stuff and you start looking at like, philosophy and like, you're trying to find what's for you, right? And like, I couldn't find anything through the, I mean, I found good lessons through religious books, but it didn't, like, relate to me, right? So I needed something... Everybody needs something for self, right? Then that can be religion, which is great for you if that's what that is. But for me, that wasn't it. And uh, through that whole process, I started reading um, a couple of books about, like, near-death experiences. And there was uh, a book that was, like, more like the clinical side of it. And then there was another book that was, like, short stories about uh, people who had near-death experiences. And there were uh, sort of like two truths that came out of it. Because I'm big on facts. I like facts. You know what I mean? And, 
you know, one is, is like everybody in the short stories, they say they see a light and then they see their life flash in front of their eyes, right? And so I took that concept of your life flashing before your eyes and I sort of made it into my own little like, you know, self-religion, moral compass or whatever it was, because I just imagine, imagine the last thing you see is your life flash before your eyes. You were bad to people, treated people like shit, an asshole, fucking just a, like that moment of consciousness of like, I just fucking wasted this precious thing called life right. and I was a dick. Like, to me, that would be the ultimate hell, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you see your life flash before your eyes, that's the last thing you realize is you blew it and then boom, that's hell. Your life flashed before your eyes, you tried hard, treated people well did your best da, 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 like that's heaven and I just broke it down into that simple little concept mm. and that kind of changed my outlook on the on the world a lot you know what I mean so I wish I figured that out about four or five years earlier that's, that's awesome <laughs> that's awesome I probably would have had a few less broken hands in <laughs> <laughs> well awesome thanks for being on the show man yeah no worries it's my pleasure cheers cheers, cheers. I have no beer left uh, but Whatever we got left, that's all we got. This cheers. place is awesome. Thanks, Singer. Yeah. <laughs>